when I was a kid in the church, for some reason, for a while, it was popular to ask this question. If they put you on trial for being a Christian, could you be convicted? That's kind of a challenging question. It asks the question, what's the evidence? Could you, if you had to, prove it? Who would be your witnesses? Who would stand up and swear before God, I guess? Yes, he's a Christian. And the prosecutor would say, how do you know? Somebody would give an explanation. Now they know. We have an expression these days when uh, we want someone to affirm something we are saying, asserting to be true. We use this expression, can I get a witness? Will anyone stand with me and affirm what I affirm? In uh, Hebrews 11, there's a witness. Someone gets a witness. Let's just read this. This is that great chapter of the Bible that's a list of, uh, well, what the chapter calls the men of old. Or you could translate it the ancient ones. The historic Hebrews. And this chapter is a list, and this list demonstrates that these men of old, some of whom were women, that these men of old operated a particular way. And in fact, that's how they got to be the men of old. That's how they got the their names recorded in the very word of God. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Let's read the text. It's Hebrews chapter 11, and we're going to work our way through the first six verses this morning. It says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous. God testifying about his gifts, his offering, and through faith, though he is dead, he still speaks. 
By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. With this section starts with the thing we closed with last time, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the substance of things hoped for, the conviction, the evidence, the proof. And we're using these courtroom terms the evidence of things unseen. Your faith, and especially your faith pressed in persecution, or whatever other suffering might come into your life, your faith shows the reality of the coming kingdom of the triune God. When Christians suffer, and the text we read last Sunday says joyfully, when we are obedient to the book of James, count it all joy, brothers, when you come under various troubles. When we suffer joyfully, we exhibit the reality of the kingdom of God. Faith, your faith, becomes the evidence of things not seen. And so that verse is like a little hinge, a pivot between what he said in chapter 10 and what he's about to say, giving this long list of the men of old in chapter 11. So now he introduces that. For by it, the men of old gained approval. Now, I don't particularly care for that translation. I've put in your bulletin the uh, Dutch translation. Now, that's, it's not the most modern Dutch translation. And I put in the Papimento Bible there because I think actually both of them get this better than the English translation, at least the one I'm using. The men of old got a witness. That's what it says. The men of old were testified to. Uh, Someone witnessed of them or about them. Someone gave testimony about them. Well, who was the someone? Who was the someone? Well, All we got to do is look ahead a little bit and we find out. By faith, Abel offered to God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony that he was righteous, God testifying. Who was Abel's witness? God himself. They received a witness and it was the testimony of God. God says, 
this about them. And they received this testimony by faith, the scripture says. So they were trusting the one who testified. And he testifies in response to their faith, apparently. But if they're trusting him, they must have heard from him before that testimony. So they receive the word of God, which we know to be true. And in these two examples in the text we have today, Abel offered a sacrifice. Well, how did he know how, how did he know about sacrifice? Well, this text in Genesis isn't explicit about that. It doesn't say it exactly. But we know that God made a sacrifice for Adam and Eve in the very beginning. He dressed them in the skins of animals. That involved a sacrifice, and that's the first sacrifice. And so we assume, because both Cain and Abel brought sacrifices to God, God must have given them some instructions about that. So they received God's word, and these men of old, by faith, trusted God. And then God testified of them. And that, in my translation, says they gained approval. Now, that means that it sounds like they went out and got the approval in, in the translation I'm reading. They gained it. But in the original text, the grammar of the, word, the verb there is someone testified of them. They didn't do it. So what you have here is a declaration of that principle in Romans. Abraham believed God and it was credited to him as righteousness. And we'll see this played out specifically in the case of Abel. The very idea of righteousness. So God declares something about the person on the basis of their faith. And I suppose we are going to want to notice along the way here that it's on the basis of their faith. By faith, not by what they did. By faith, they do some things. But this testimony is on the basis of their faith, not the things they did. That's an important thing to notice. So these men of old that gained the approval of God, that received the testimony of God on their behalf, saw the unseen things, that's what the text says, saw the unseen things by trusting the promise of God. And then God testifies of them. And now we might ask this question, who is God testifying to? He's testifying about them. Well, we can see this a little bit in the, in the text about Abel. Though through faith, though he is dead, 
he still speaks. The testimony about Abel is for anyone who hears. And specifically in the book of Hebrews, to the Hebrew church. And it's in the Bible to us. The testimony about God, about Abel from God, is a testimony given to us. We hear from God about him. So there's a few steps here. There's, they received the word of God. They trusted the word of God, the promise of God. They test, God testifies on the basis of that promise, and he testifies to us. This is how they got to be the men of old. The testimony of God is recorded in the pages of the Bible. And so the men of old are the men of old. Not everyone is on this list. In fact, not everyone who trusted in God's word and received this testimony is on this list. It'd be millions of people by now. So they become the evidence of things unseen. The testimony of the faith of the men of old is the evidence of things unseen to us. Now, he starts at the very beginning when he begins his list. He says, by faith we perceive that the ages, the universe, the worlds, it's literally the word for ages, eons, were set in order by the word of God so that the things we can see did not come to be out of the things we can see. In other words, God made the world by speaking. God made the worlds. God made the ages, the history of things. God is telling the story that is everything you see. And everything that exists that is not God is created by the word of God. By the speech of God, who now, because we read chapter 1 of the book of Hebrews, we know, and we also read chapter 1 of the book of John, that the word of God is not just the verbiage God uses, but the very person of Jesus Christ, the eternal Son. There's a lot wrapped up in that. So, by faith, we understand that the world that we see comes from the world that we don't see. From the unseen God, Colossians says it like this, he, speaking of Christ, he is the image, the visibility of the unseen God, the invisible God. So the invisible makes the visible. And we understand this how? By faith. We hear and believe. Faith understands the visible world is born from the unseen God, the evidence, faith, 
bears the evidence of unseen things. You see how he's just unfolding what he said in the very first verse? By faith, we perceive. We understand the beginning of the story, the creative work of God by faith. Now we come to Abel. It's curious that we skip over Adam and Eve, but I don't have much to say about that other than it's curious to me, but here we come to Abel. By faith, Abel brought a greater sacrifice to God than Cain's. Now, I think this verse tells us the main difference between Abel's sacrifice and Cain's. It's not the only difference, but it's the main difference. And it's in the two words, by faith. By faith. By faith. You see what Satan interrupted in the life of the human family with Adam and Eve was faith. They received the word of God and he told them it wasn't true and they at least momentarily stopped trusting it and so they sinned. And when I say stop trusting it, it's the word of God so they stopped trusting him. And so we got the great divorce from God. But the main thing that Abel does is trust the word of God to bring the correct sacrifice. So by faith, Abel does something. He brings a greater sacrifice than Cain. What's the other difference? Well, Abel trusted God, so Abel brought, this is a quote from Genesis 4.4, the best portions of the firstborn lambs from his flock. Sacrifice was the best of the best. The first, and it was a sacrifice that involved the blood of a lamb. We've already read in the book of Hebrews, without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sin. What did Cain bring? This is Genesis 4.3. Cain brought some of the fruit of the ground. Do you hear the difference? Cain brought some of his crops. Hey, I've got some stuff. I'll give God a portion of my stuff. The sacrifice of Cain did not involve any blood. And we read in the book of Genesis, God approved Abel's sacrifice and he did not approve Cain's sacrifice. And even if this was the first time these guys are making sacrifices and they didn't know any better, well, now you know. In fact, God has a conversation like that with Cain. Cain's upset because God doesn't approve his sacrifice. I can imagine him saying something like, you know, that cost me. That wasn't nothing. 
Cain was trying to please God, and God rejected him. So Cain's upset, and God says, hey, careful now. All you got to do is do well in the future. That's what he says. All you got to do, now you know. If you didn't know already, I think you probably knew already, but now you know. Doesn't solve Cain's problem, does it? He ends up killing Abel. Well, if that's not a reminder of what we were just reading about in chapter 10, I don't know what would be. Abel now stands as a great example of someone persecuted for his faith. He brings the right sacrifice by faith. And those who lack that faith can't stand it. You know, grace is a hard thing to sell. People want to deserve whatever they get from God, including those of us who already understand grace to some degree. We still have a tendency to revert to deserve. God doesn't do that. God is the provider. <laughs> From beginning to end. So people tend to resent it when you say, hey, you got, God's got a problem with you and only he will solve it. You can't, well, all your effort is meaningless. Well, that's what happened with Cain and Abel. So Cain killed Abel, as we know. But let's read about Abel. Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain, through which he obtained the testimony of what? That he was righteous. Was Abel righteous? Only by the testimony of God. Only because God credited him with righteousness. By faith. So what you have here in the book of Hebrews is maybe the first instance of that thing that Romans, where Romans writes about Abraham. Abraham believed God and his faith was credited to him as righteous. It is about imputed righteousness. Abel was a sinner just like Cain. That's why they needed a sacrifice. And making a sacrifice doesn't mean you didn't do those sins. But operating by faith in God according to God's word, God imputes as righteousness. So that's what happened. And we learn through the same faith, Abel still speaks. That's what he speaks. You come to God by faith with the right sacrifice. You trust God's word 
you draw near to God by faith. And that God credits as righteousness. We'll have more to say about that. And so God's testimony of Abel that he was righteous continues to this day. And we are the recipient, we are the ones who hear the word of God about Abel. Righteous, righteous. And then we come to Enoch. Now Enoch is like, I think, seven generations down. And Enoch is like the great grandson of, or no, it'd be more further down. He's from the line of Seth. By the way, if you go read, look up the name Enoch, there's an Enoch that's the son of Cain, not the same guy. Okay, so there's two Enochs. Don't let that confuse you in Genesis. So this is the Enoch that we read about in Genesis chapter 5. The whole story of Enoch is quoted right here in the book of Hebrews. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God took him up. And if you read Genesis 5.22, I mean, there's some other verses that mention the name of Enoch, but they're about when he was born and who he was born to and who was born to him and how long he lived. The one verse, one verse story, story of Enoch. It's a one verse story. He's the guy that walked with God and God took him up. He never died. He disappeared. Because God took him. They couldn't find him, it says, because God took him. But he didn't die. He walked with God, the scripture says. He walked with God, God took him up. But then here in Hebrews, we read this. Before God took him up, Enoch got a witness. Enoch received the testimony. Before being taken up, he was pleasing to God. So the thing that God testified to about Abel was righteous. And the thing that he testified to about Enoch was pleasing. Righteous, pleasing. How did Enoch become pleasing to God? He trusted him. That's all. By faith, he received this testimony. He trusted God, and the scripture says he walked with God. Well, what what does that mean? That means he lived his life by faith. He trusted in God. And God testified of him, Enoch is pleasing to God. And... I'm I'm taking him up here. I'm not going to make him endure the hazards of this life any longer. It's the very first rapture. He's taken up without dying. So, he's pleasing to God. And then, in conclusion, we read this. Uh, he obtained the witness before his being taken up that he was pleasing to God and without faith it is impossible to please God. 
The word impossible here literally means incapable. Apart from faith, Enoch or Abel or you or me, we are incapable of pleasing God. Incapable. Do you know that that means that even when you do the right thing apart from faith, it does not please God? The scripture says this explicitly. In fact, it does the opposite of pleasing. It makes things worse with God. The scripture says all your righteous deeds are like filthy rags before God. And it's not because they're not righteous deeds. The works are good, righteous. We all appreciate that you did a righteous deed, but God doesn't. Because it's not by faith. Because God, God considers the righteous deeds that he produces in you by faith. So it's very important that... Abel brought the right sacrifice by faith. Trusting God. God says this about the sacrifice. We've read this in in Hebrews. The sacrifices don't please God by themselves. He said this to Israel over and over and over. Without faith, apart from faith, it is you are incapable of pleasing God. What's God looking for? God is looking for you to trust Him. He who comes to God must believe. <laughs> now, the word that's translated comes to here is the same word we've heard multiple times now in the book of Hebrews, draw near. Draw near. The book of Hebrews is constantly encouraging us to draw near. Therefore, draw near because Christ has made a way for you to have access to the very throne of God. You can stand before a holy, righteous God and you're not holy or righteous, but you can stand there by faith, drawing near because of the sacrifice of Christ. He who comes to God, who who draws near to God, must believe. Well, I guess that's almost, you don't even really need to say it, because why would you draw near if you didn't? If you weren't trusting God, you would stay away from God. If God is not good, He has Judgment. We have, a, we have this choice in this life to flee to God or try to get away from God. The one Jesus saves us from is God. So, without faith, it's impossible to please Him, for he who comes to God must believe. Believe that He is 
and that he's a rewarder. (laughs) Do you hear the goodness of God? Someone who draws near to God trusts God to be good. Or you wouldn't want to get anywhere near him. You'd be like Isaiah, you know, in the vision in chapter 6 of Isaiah. Get me out of here. I don't belong here. I am a sinner. And I live among a people who are sinners. I can't stand in the presence of righteous, holy God. But God testifies another way about Isaiah. And God applies the righteousness of Christ to Isaiah. So he does find standing. We believe that God is and that God is good to those who come to him, who draw near to him in Christ. When the Bible says he's a rewarder of those who seek him, well, if you're seeking him, what would the reward be? Him. You know, that's in the Psalms. The one who delights in the Lord receives the desire of his heart. Well, if you're delighting in the Lord, what's the desire of your heart? The Lord. And so Christ opens up fellowship with the living God. And so we can march into heaven like we own it in Christ on the basis of the promise of God, trusting God to be good, to be the rewarder of those who seek him. Drawing near to God requires you to believe that God exists, obviously, and that God is good. That God is worth seeking. Now Cain brought some of his crop. Abel brought the firstborn lambs. What do you bring? Well, you don't have to bring anything. Someone already brought it. Abel brought a better sacrifice. The Lord Jesus Christ, the eternal Son, made flesh, made one of us, presented before God on your behalf and on my behalf, his own life, a sacrifice for sin. And Christ is the only acceptable sacrifice. In fact, if Christ never gives his sacrifice, Abel's sacrifice would never work. All those sacrifices of the Old Testament would be utterly meaningless, except that they point to the sacrifice that ends all sacrifices, the sacrifice of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so the sacrifice that you bring, well, he already brought it. You simply say yes. You trust the promise of God. 
that, God, that is spoken in the mouth of Jesus, the word of God, the testimony of God, is whoever comes to me, I never turn away. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you a list of things to do. Oh, no, that's not what it says. Sorry. I will give you rest. And here in the book of Hebrews we've read, strive, strive to enter his rest. If you want to work at something, what you want to work at is trusting in what Christ has done, not anything you might do. There's only the one sacrifice. It's credited to you as righteousness. And in case you don't believe that, you could look at Romans chapter 4. I know you do believe that, but I'm going to read Romans chapter 4 to you. Romans 4, the end of the chapter, verse 23. Well, 22, therefore it was also credited to him as righteousness. And that's speaking about Abraham. Abraham's faith. Now, not for his sake only was it written that it was credited to him, but for our sake also to whom it will be credited as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He who was delivered over because of our transgression and raised for our justification. And so the righteousness of God is credited to you when you trust in what he did. And the sacrifice that you bring is only the sacrifice that he already brought. So you can go before the throne of grace. You can draw near to God by faith in the finished work of Christ. This is what uh, uh, Paul is writing about in Philippians chapter 3 when he says, uh, I, I can't consider everything as like nothing, garbage, worse than nothing really. I consider everything as nothing. I've given up everything for this surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus and being found in him. Not having a righteousness of my own. But the righteousness that comes by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Paul is seeking for the testimony of God. Righteous pleasing, and that testimony is his declaration on his beloved son and on all those who are in him. So, you, if you come, if you draw near by faith, faith is the assurance of things not seen. Faith is the testimony of God for your sake and for mine because of the finished work of Christ. And what we're going to see through this whole list is how God testifies and people 
receive the benefit of God's word because they trust him. Now we know that they trust him. That too, even, is a work of God himself. But God has done it all. He's the provider, not us. And so what we do is, well, don't bring anything else. Don't, don't bring something that you've done or some thing that you've given up, some portion of your crop. Come with Christ. Just come with Christ. And he has already made the sacrifice that makes it possible for you to stand in the grace of God. Amazing. Amazing. Father, we give you thanks for this work that you have done for our sake through the ministry of your Son. Thank you for the ministry of the Spirit that opens our eyes to see it for what it really is. To trust ourselves to you. And Lord, in this reminder this morning, we trust ourselves to you. We present ourselves to you a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. It's the only sensible thing to do when we understand what you have done for us. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.